1: Just like that, the second hour is here. Tim Brando will join us in 20 minutes on Hot Mike. Hiding with Row, sixth and Peabody Air location, with EJ Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Got a full Final Four preview coming up. Chad, what what award did Adam Sandler recently? uh, He got something over the weekend. I saw.
2: Yeah, so he uh, it was the Kennedy Center honors, and it was the Mark Twain Award for American Comedy Excellence. It uh, was something like that. I, and multiple I, people came out and like roasted him or like had yeah. parodies of songs. So, you know, we're, we're going to start doing some things on the show with just things that catch our eye, that we want to pass along, you know, sort of recommendations, but things that we want more people to see or to experience, right? There are certain things you watch or you you take in and you say, well, that's probably just for me. I don't think a lot of people would enjoy that. That's more my thing. I don't want to... Share that with the world. There are other things that I'm like, I, I want everyone to acknowledge this and to honor it. Uh, I fell into a a, a a rabbit hole this morning. A wormhole rabbit hole. What are we going with here? What uh, always, I, always, I always hear both, and I don't know which way Your to go. Your choice. Out. If it's online, I guess it's a wormhole, maybe. Anything else? A rabbit hole? Either way. A wormhole rabbit hole, whatever you want to use. I'm online. And I start seeing these videos on YouTube of people honoring Adam Sandler in Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center for this Kennedy Center Honors, uh, the Mark Twain Award for Adam Sandler. And I'm hearing Chris Rock and David Spade and Rob Schneider and Jennifer Aniston and Drew Barrymore and Conan O'Brien and Steve Buscemi and all of these great comic people and actors and everything else talk about Adam Sandler. And I am hooked. I end up watching every single one of the tributes. They're all probably four to seven minutes long when they go up there and talk about them. And then I watched the 12-minute acceptance speech from Adam Sandler. And I just can't stop thinking about this today. This guy is such an American treasure. It is amazing how he has treated his friends that he met along the way. He's talking about Eric Lamontsoft that he had elementary school with and he grew up with back in New Hampshire where he's from. Talks about his brothers and sisters. His mom is there in the crowd. Talking about his mom, his wife, his two daughters, But every step along the way, how he's carried his friends along with him. When he makes a movie, they're all in the movie. Rob Schneider gets choked up talking about it, saying, I still have a career where I'm in movies simply because Adam Sandler is my friend. And he wants to hang out with me, and he thinks I'm good. And he passes along that confidence that he has and brings his friends along in movies. And it really is remarkable when you think about this guy's career. Now he's made, you know, it feels like a thousand movies Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. I will watch all of them. He's going to put out three or four movies a year on Netflix at this point. I will probably sit down and watch all of them. The latest one's going to be this Murder Mystery 2 with Jennifer Aniston. Watched the first one, enjoyed it. I'll watch this one. I'll probably enjoy it as well. But Adam Sandler is so unique in his sense of humor. And everyone that went up to honor him talked about the first time they met him. Thinking, Who is this guy that just speaks gibberish? And does Opera Man and Cajun Man and all these crazy things and has this sense of joy and craziness, but also confidence just to be himself and be wacky that way. But also
1: doing movies now that aren't even like that.
2: Yeah, and now he can be a dramatic actor with Uncut Gems and uh, Punch Drunk Love back in the day with Paul Thomas Anderson that got a lot of acclaim also. Very talented, but just remarkable life and career for this guy. And every time I see him speaking, I'm thinking, he's one of us. There are certain celebrities, you know, I I love Leonardo DiCaprio, right? But I watch Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, go up and speak about, you know, climate change. And at an award show, I'm thinking, he's probably not like me in a lot of ways. Like, it seems very important. If I met Leo, I'd think, this is very important. This guy is very important. If I meet Adam Sandler, I'm thinking, I want to go... Have a pint of beer and play a game of horse with this dude. That's the way he comes across yeah. to everyone. Leo,
1: you go on a yacht with his twenty-five year old girlfriend.
2: Right. He's going to bring out a you know just a plethora of Russian models. Right. Adam Sandler's <laughs> not that guy, but you know, We saw him live. You know, uh, Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien did the best job, by the way, of just going ruthless, like roast. Like some of you know, yeah. everybody kind of started as a roast and then went into some. Ben Stiller was another ben who was Stiller, really good. Was talking Dan Patrick there? I, he may have been there, but he didn't. I didn't see him present. But Ben Stiller's presentation was really funny. Steve Buscemi came out as his character from uh, Wedding Singer, where he's the <laughs> drunk brother yeah. giving the toast of the wedding. And he's got a, some whiskey in his hand and he's like toasting Adam Sandler while making fun of him. But everyone that talked about him, just the friendship he has with everyone, how he takes care of his buddies, you know, takes care of his family, I just found it very inspiring. I, and I, I'm watching it thinking, whatever you want to say about. Some of Adam Sandler's stupidity or dumb movies he's made or whatever. I find most of his comedy hilarious, and maybe it's because of my age and that that was my formative years, watching Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison and Wedding Singer and uh, Waterboy, (laughs) Little Nicky. I mean, the, the list goes on and on of great, to me, Adam Sandler comedies. But I'm thinking Spanglish. What an amazing dude and an amazing career, Spanglish. Spanglish we celebrate all of his rom coms, fifty first
1: dates. I have that's Spanglish for the record is the only movie I've walked out on. That really? was I was in high school at the time. But I was just like, man, this is this is off. You must have not have been on a date. Uh, no, I was. Oh. We we both left. This is not this was not uh what we expected.
2: That's true high school love right there when the girl you're with is also I'm like, like yeah, I don't yeah, want this. Go. I don't want to watch. Let's bounce. It. I only want to watch Adam Sandler making funny voices and being a yeah, preschooler. Yeah, at that time
1: I didn't want him a ser- I didn't want to see the serious Adam Sandler like I do now.
2: Yeah, Taylor Leone is in that, that picture <laughs> by the way, and I'm a huge Taylor Leone fan. The
1: picture. It's yes. got from film to picture. It's Spaglish, a picture. Spanglish is on a different shelf for Chad. It's a picture.
2: I love referring to <laughs> movies that should not be referred to as pictures or film yeah. as as both. That would be one of them. I enjoyed Spanglish, not my favorite Adam Sandler movie, but um, anyway, I would I would pass that along. Now. That's the uh, it, and you'll get into it. And It's like every every story is kind of similar. Chris Rock's story is great about he just goes in the first time he saw Adam Sandler on stage at some comedy club in New York, and then how they hung out that night and they've been really good friends ever since. But the first joke he remembers Adam Sandler telling, I'm not going to ruin it because Chris Rock does a better job than I do of retelling it. But it's a hilarious joke that he told on stage because he was angry that this young guy had the stage on a weekend night and Chris Rock couldn't get that at that point. Then he heard one joke from Sandler and he said, oh, I get it. This guy's really good and funny and unique. I love Adam Sandler. That's that's what I wanted to say I, more than anything else. I'm eager too. I love too. the
1: guy. Uh, we're, we're friends with Nate Bargatze, who's uh, really catapulted up into the stratosphere of comedians as a clean comic. And now he's playing arenas across the country, not just comedy clubs or small venues or smaller venues. I shouldn't say they are 2,000 seat uh, theaters, not small, uh, for, for the circuit he's on. But now he's moved on to the arenas. And Chad, whenever we were watching Sandler play, what, last month? Yeah. Um, bargazzi was there backstage to kind of get a feel for what it's going to be like for him whenever he takes the stage on April Well, he got 15th. a photo
2: with Sandler, right? Did not yeah. he post that? He, I yeah, he was, I'm so
1: jealous. He was checking out the whole mechanics of everything. But uh, Nate's going to be in studio with us next week. So we'll ask him about Sandler.
2: Uh, well, uh, yeah, you you stole my thunder with that one because that's one I want to get into because I think Sandler is the perfect example of, he's not he's blue, right? I mean, his comedy oh, can yeah. be very blue and his comedy albums are blue, but he doesn't have to be. You know, there are certain, like, Chris Rock could not be a clean comic. That's just not who he is. Right. Dave Chappelle, I think, could go either way, but he's probably never going to be a totally clean comic. Nate bargazzi is a clean comic. I don't think Nate bargazzi could be a dirty comic. Adam Sandler could do either or. He can do family movies where he doesn't say a single cuss word and be hilarious. And do SNL. And he can do the, the bits that we saw on stage in Nashville. Right, yeah that are some of the more R-rated things you could ever hear that are hilarious and it goes either way with that guy and i just think his life is incredible and the way he's lived it and had fun and brought his buddies along with him the whole yes. time that's it's a it's a great lesson i think for everyone it's and you don't hear a single bad hollywood story about adam sandler I, like being a jerk to someone you know, you don't hear the comment, yeah. oh, I was a big fan of his, and then I met him backstage and he did this. You don't hear one thing negative about someone who's done a movie with Sandler where he was a prima donna or he was rude to people around the set. He's got his own production company now. He basically writes, directs, edits with his friends, everything and he does. And they're
1: all on Netflix now, right? Yeah,
2: he's got that long-term deal with Netflix where he's I, doing all that with Netflix.
1: I want to know, too, within that inner circle that they're in every film with him, Who's the last guy to join that inner circle? Because there's really no new people that join into that, right?
2: Who's yeah. the last guy that was allowed into the, the group? <laughs> That's a good... Kevin James, I think, would be the latest addition. He's been in a lot you know, recently, yeah. but he wasn't there from the very beginning. Yeah, he was in Grown Ups. Yeah, well, him. even like Norm MacDonald, you know, who's in Billy Madison, was early on R.I.P. Norm, yeah. who's another great yeah. comic legend. Uh, Conan O'Brien laughs that they were buddies at SNL when Conan was a writer, but he hasn't appeared in one Adam Sandler movie. Unlike everyone else that was there has not been asked to be in one of them. So he jokes that he must have done something wrong. And he said something about, you know, he did offer me one role in his latest Netflix movie, but called me and said I I had to give it away to my Uber driver instead. (laughs) But then I found out the Uber driver was Rob Schneider, is what he said, which was The the last guy in the group might be Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick has been around in movies with him since
1: in The, the Longest
2: Yard, which was 2004, so going on 20 years now.
1: They always find a role But for I think him.
2: Kevin James didn't come along until even later than that, and he's been in almost everything yeah. since.
1: Yes, because Grown Ups was debuting at the Super Bowl we were at together, Yeah, uh, one of them, um, and we went and saw that.
2: Uh, hit us up with your thoughts on this. Uh, and so you saw this on YouTube? This was on YouTube um, I think the, the, the actual thing aired on CNN originally. I don't know if that's available anywhere, but you can catch all of it on YouTube. And it's just, I, I just watched the presentations to him and the acceptance speech. But it just, it, more than that, it made me think about Sandler just seems great. And it's so, it's so few yeah, times you that you have entertainers that you just think, man, this guy just seems awesome. But not just, you want to hang out with like He's just a legitimately nice fun-loving guy that's like the rest of us. We are going
1: to preview the Final Four in a, a few minutes with, with Tim Brando. Um, ticket prices, way, way different for the women's Final Four compared to the men's Final Four. But the, the, the Elite Eight matchup between Iowa and Louisville in the women's bracket, that drew more viewers than any NBA game on ESPN all season. That blew my mind. Uh, over 2 million tuned in to watch this game. Uh, and Caitlin Clark, the first 40-point triple-double in NCAA, in NCAA tournament history, that's men's or women's tournament history. That also is a stat that blew my mind, considering the players that we've seen come through the tournament and had it was very special moments. What a great performance by her. And now the Final Four matchup headed uh, to the women's bracket. Well, the ticket prices way different it's tough to get into the women's final four which will begin on friday and compared to the men's bracket no surprise those ticket prices have plummeted at nrg stadium for the men's side of things before we even get to the championship matchup um i'm eager to see where the the peak can be for the women's final four and the numbers based on the numbers that espn is pushing for what we saw in the Elite A, This is
2: a great moment for women's basketball. Uh, The Caitlin Clark story is awesome. I think the best story for the game, South Carolina fans won't like this, but I think it's undefeated South Carolina got upset. Yeah. Either semifinal or national championship just to give another spark of intrigue with everything. It's also a cool story if they run the table and finish off the undefeated season. Um, A great moment for women's basketball, though, and that, that fact about Rated higher, more people watched that game in the Elite Eight. Yes. Not even Final Four, than more than any, any ESPN NBA game this season. That blew my mind. I, I had to read it four times before letting it sink in that that was the case. So that's really good for women's basketball. And No
1: surprise, right, with the men's matchups, starting with FAU and San Diego State, that, I mean, if you want to get in, Chad, you mentioned this on Monday, if you want to get into the game, go to the Final Four for the first time, hop a flight, Hotel prices are probably down as well and the tickets are cheap to get in. I did into think about ca- I, into the cavern of the, what that stadium yeah. looks like.
2: I did think about this. Um, if Leah Thomas played basketball, yeah, what would the ratings be? If Leah Thomas was in a Final Four? Uh, tons of people would tune in. I think it would be like NBA finals level. If they, if yeah. that game, if that Elite Eight game between Iowa and Louisville <laughs> outrated all NBA games on ESPN all year. A Leah Thomas basketball version playing in a Final Four would outrate the NBA Finals. Well, I mean, period.
1: Because you have so, you either are on the side. Oh, I'm of, not saying I don't or, want it
2: to happen, but yes, everyone would naturally want to tune in for that. Yeah, and I mean, not only there's no a single tune for it. there's a single person that wouldn't say, "Well, I'm I hate it." Most of America would hate it, but they would hate watch it. <laughs> Like They'd be rooting like hell for whoever Leah Thomas is playing. And everyone would tune in for that. Either it- I'm tuning in for Caitlin Clark in the Final Four. I mean, I, they've, it's caught my attention now. I, I'm going to watch this game. And I would have said, like, the Friday Final Four
1: tip-off would be detrimental. I, I, well, it wouldn't help. It wouldn't hurt, but it wouldn't help. Now I think there's enough buzz around it to where – They can skyrocket with the numbers.
2: Well, the ticket prices are so much higher for the women's game. There's a 55,000-seat difference between the venues, between NRG Stadium and American Airlines Arena in Dallas. And it's a lesson to the men's game. Go to arenas. You can charge, even if your attendance is double, you can charge double to get people into the building in a 20,000-seat arena. And that atmosphere will be so much better. Than these cavernous, be. I mean, football stadiums. We these games will not see a
1: Final Four at Madison Square Garden. Think about that, because it seats twenty thousand and not eighty. And how awesome that would be! It'd be great to see. It'd be great. Tim Brando previews the Final Four with us. He joins us next on Hot Mic across the Outkick Network.
3: Hey, I'm a dad, and I know what dads want for Father's Day. They want steak, world-class Omaha steaks. Look, dads deserve top-quality American beef, and that's what you'll get with Omaha steaks as their Father's Day gift. I gift Omaha steaks constantly to guests on my show. Urban Meyer, the football coach, Mike Krzyzewski, the basketball coach, Kevin Pritchard, general manager of the Indiana Pacers, just to name a few, have received the gift of steak, Omaha steaks from me. Order mouthwatering gift packages starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code DAN to get $10 off your order. Give the gift that I give to guests on my show. Mouthwatering gift packages from Omaha Steaks starting at just 99 bucks, And as a bonus, use promo code DAN to get $10 off your order. Sack up and get your dad something he'll love this Father's Day.
1: And we're joined by Tim Brando talking some Final Four with the matchups are set and a very unexpected four-pack. Tim, thanks for the time, man. Hope you're well.
4: You guys actually called me again After the disaster that was my first bracket and the equally disastrous revisioned (laughs) bracket, it's great to be with you. It's great to be with you again.
1: How do you describe this Final Four?
4: Uh, I mean, uh, unlike any other. My friend Jim Nance loves to say, uh, you know, the Masters uh, tradition, unlike any other, well, the Final Four this year, which will be his last, and I do want to mention this about Jim, because we came up at about the same time. He joined CBS in 85, the same year I went to ESPN. I'm a few years ahead of him um, on the calendar, but his career was off the charts and incredible. He was a very, very welcoming uh, lead broadcaster when I joined CBS back in uh, 1996, and a dear friend and I wish him the best on his last final four because uh, it's, it's something that matters a lot to broadcasters when you look at the time you spend on something as big as that. And in my case, uh, my largest uh, opportunity was to do a regional final of the NCAA men's basketball tournament with Al McGuire. Can't even imagine uh, what he went through to do as many of the national championships as he did and be a part of this event. And uh, I came up in, in Louisiana following LSU and Daddy Dale Brown at the same time. He was coming up a few years later than me with Guy Lewis at Houston. And I know it means a lot to him, and I want to wish him a great weekend.
2: Well, and Tim, is a national broadcaster of games like yourself, I, I couldn't help but think about Jim Nance in this and think that if Jim Nance thought that his final, final four – I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, boy, we're going to have Duke in there, North Carolina, and Kansas, or Indiana. He's going to be calling a national semifinal game between San Diego State and Florida Atlantic to, kick the, to tip things off. I mean, you said unexpected. I, I'm just thinking for Jim Nance's final, final four, and no disrespect to these teams who have earned their spot mm-hmm. in this, this is not right. what a broadcaster of huge events would expect for a huge event. Am I, am I wrong?
4: Yeah, you are. and let me tell you why. You <laughs> okay, are. Tell on me. the face of it, on the face of it, okay, and particularly those of your generation and, and maybe a little bit younger, and not to get caught up too much on the generational aspect of sports. but Jim is a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. Everybody that you see at the national level of broadcasting, we fashion ourselves first and foremost as storytellers. That's who we are. That's, that's that's what we wanted to do all our lives. Uh, I know probably in his heart of hearts when he made the choice to step away now, and I do believe it was his choice, to do it in Houston with a team like Houston that had a chance to play before its home crowd was in his head when he made that choice. But at the same time, if someone knocked them off and it happened to be, oh, I don't know, a, a team that no one expected to do it, So be it. And to see those other teams out there like Florida Atlantic and San Diego State, Mountain West, Conference USA, um, that's history. And, And as a broadcaster, that's that's something you want to be a part of. Being a part of a history making event is something that we dream of. So I think he's smiling. Uh, even though he might, you know, in his heart of hearts be thinking, gosh, I, I thought my alma mater would be there. Uh, the reality is he's still got uh, an amazing historic Final Four to to tell the story of. And and that's a storyteller's dream.
2: I totally agree with you on the storytelling part of it. And there are great stories here with the, these four teams. But Sean mm-hmm. McManus of CBS is quoted a couple of years ago <laughs> saying that, hey, if what we want are the big-name teams, right, in in this game. But there's going to yeah. be big stories, and you talk about the stories. My question for you, Tim, do you <laughs> care at all about ratings when you're calling a game? Is that just something up for the no. executives, or do you care one bit?
4: No, that's for the executives and the salespeople. No. has nothing to do with how we feel. Uh, let me tell you something. When I was broadcasting high school football games at the age of 14 in a cherry picker somewhere in Plaquemine, Louisiana, I was so excited to be doing it. And I knew that those, I don't know, 2,500 people that were interested in how Plaquemine might do against Neville High School in Monroe, Louisiana, uh, to me, I felt the world was watching every and hearing everything that I had to say on the radio. And that was in 1971. The size of the audience doesn't matter. Uh, The loyal people that are listening or are watching, uh, the parents of those kids, uh, the grandparents of those kids, uh, they're going to be on the edge of their seats with everything you say. I can't tell you how many times uh, I've been stopped, not just by those kids that played in games that I called, but also the parents of those kids in games that I called. Uh, Years ago, when Billy Donovan was making his run to a second national championship, I ran into his father William, uh, whom I had uh, whom I had known since uh, Billy was in school at Providence, and he came up to me and he said, "You're one of our favorites." You know, he was a uh, uh, a northeastern New England guy, and he said, "Whenever we're having a bad day, Tim, we'll put in that '87 game at the Providence Civic Center when it starting at God number 34, <laughs> Billy Donovan was playing." we were at the game and we were watching you and raft on our vhs tapes and so whenever we're having a bad day we put that old vhs tape in and we watch providence take down the mighty hoyas for the very first time under Rick patino you know that that kind of stuff is is what uh, it, it's all about that that's that's what drives guys that are in our business that are calling games because we know no matter who wins or who loses Memories are being made for a lifetime from those, for those families.
1: Tim Brando with us on hot Mike. I've, I have picked Florida Atlantic to lose every game in this tournament. And <laughs> as I'm going to the final four and watching, watching these matchups, I'm thinking, am I really going to do this again? Because they've played 38 games. They've won 35 of them. Their three losses came on true road yeah. environments and yeah. they didn't lose a game by less than 13, by, by more than 13 points. Uh, what do you make of the Owls and, and and the fact that they're known for shooting the three, and while they have caught fire some, it's not nearly to the extent that we saw and what they point to the regular season and through the Conference USA tournament. What, what can they do, and what would it mean for either FAU or San Diego State
4: to win the championship this year? It's a life-altering experience and a program-altering moment for both of them just to be in the Final Four. Let me take you back to 2011 for a second, when the undercard in Houston, okay, the undercard in Houston, which unfortunately for Houston, by the way, I think we're going to have a great Final Four. I think all three games will be competitive. That year in 2011 was probably the least competitive Final Four ever. And the reason it was was because we had all these incredible upsets through the course of the tournament. I think Bucknell out of the Patriot League had taken out Kansas. Uh, I had worked in uh, D.C. for the first two rounds when the 8-9 winner in the Duquesne-Butler game, this was Butler without Gordon Hayward, but with Matt Howard, they had won on two tip-ins near the buzzer to take out both Duquesne and Pitt when Jamie Dixon had a number one seed at Pittsburgh in the second round. It was VCU and Butler in the undercard, okay, and UConn who with Kimba Walker, I, I I had them in D.C. as well. Kimba was leading that team through that uh, incredible moment in the Big East where they were 500 in the conference, then won the Big East tournament, and then didn't lose a game the rest of the way and went on to win the national title. All those games were bad. Uh, uh, Butler beat VCU by a lot. Uh, Shaka Smart's team couldn't make a shot. Uh, the iron was really unkind the whole game. And then uh, (laughs) Butler got VCU's disease in the championship game and lost by almost 30 to UConn, which was not representative at all of the season that they had had. Sometimes the tournament, after so many upsets, will exhale and you'll have a, a, a few bad games. But that's the only time that I ever remember being in a Final Four, and I've been to all but four of them since 1981. That was the only time I can recall all three games being non-competitive, that they were blowouts. The teams uh, had just horrible games at just the wrong time. I don't see that happening here because FAU has got older, established talent that's won all but three games. That's legit. That, That makes you totally legit. They have a young coach that's feeling like Man, you know what? I was tutored under Bob Knight. A lot of people have no idea how much I know and how good my team is. Uh, they're playing with house money. And I think they are absolutely in a position to beat San Diego State, given the way the Aztecs came through their region. Simultaneously, here's a veteran coach on the other side, whose dad was a coach at Minnesota with some of the greatest teams Minnesota had had through that century, Jim Dutcher. Brian's his son. He was really the, the the instigator of the Fab Five. Steve Fisher counted on him to recruit all those kids. They played 30 years ago. And now he is finally in a position to be at the reins of that program. And he has guys that can finish and guys that will play on defense with as much zeal as they play on offense. The winner of that game, I'm just going to say this to you right now, The winner of that game, the undercard, will be thought of as a blowout victim in the national championship. Look, I've been wrong all through this tournament with my bracket. I've got F papers on top of F papers. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you, the winner of that undercard game has a great chance, I mean great chance, to win against the winner of the Miami-Yukon game, which I believe everyone that's in that building on Saturday will think will be the winner of the national championship once they win the semifinals. They they may be right, but they might not be right because uh, I, I think Florida Atlantic is really wired offensively and defensively to do a lot of damage to whoever wins that Miami-Yukon game. San Diego State's a bit one-dimensional. Uh, they, they win one way and one way only, and that's through their defense. There are more finishers on the offensive side for Florida Atlantic than there are for San Diego state. But these are two veteran teams, fellas, either one. Okay. Is capable of winning at all. And I think most of America and especially the media is painting a completely different picture. Oh, there's no reason to watch. These are not traditional schools. There's no blue bloods. There's no, this. this just in the NCAA basketball tournament. Isn't for the writers. It isn't for the broadcasters. It isn't for those pundits out there that think they know more than they know it's for those kids and the coaches first and foremost. And I think either of these four teams are capable of winning it all.
2: Tim, we had this discussion earlier in the week, and your answer to the question is a great example. If the national broadcaster doesn't care about ratings, the college basketball fan shouldn't care about it either. So even if the ratings are bad, that should not affect the enjoyment of the fans that are tuning in, watching really good basketball and really good stories. Speaking of good stories, Jim Laranega gets George Mason to a Final Four and now has Miami in a Final Four. Two different programs he has taken to the Final Four Tim, where does that put him on the list of some of the great college basketball coaches we've seen in this sport?
4: Oh, it's, uh, he's on the, the A-list. You know, uh, think about all the great coaches, Hall of Famers, that either got to one Final Four with one team over their entire career. Louis Seca comes to mind. Think about all the great coaches that maybe won more than 700 games, won you know, a half dozen Big Ten titles. Never went to a Final Four. Gene Cady's name comes to mind. There are so many out there that have not gotten to the promised land, which is the Final Four. As I was coming up as a broadcaster uh, in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and hoping to one day get an opportunity to call NCAA tournament games, I'll never forget the joy, the glee that was coming from Al McGuire when Ray Meyer finally made it to a Final Four, the icon at DePaul. And he finally got there. And I thought to myself, my God, it's almost as if it doesn't matter whether he wins at the final four. And for Al, he told me later because I got the uh, privilege and honor of working with him in a regional final back in 98 in St. Louis. That's, that's true. That's exactly the way it was. Uh, for coaches, just to get to the final four, the hardest game to win is a regional final. Ask any coach, they'll tell you hardest game to win is the regional final to get to a Final Four. Once you're there, sure, uh, America, and particularly in today's climate, it's the brass ring or forget everything else. One of the great aspects of the NCAA basketball tournament is there are really five winners. The national champion, absolutely. They'll talk about it forever. So will those players. But to just get your program to a Final Four as a head coach, there's so many great coaches that never got there. And to be one that did is, hum- is absolutely amazing. And to do it twice at two programs that are outside the so-called power six, which is what Jim Laranega has done, is off the charts. And uh, I first met him in my first national broadcast with Dick Vitale, January 5th, 1985. I went to Charlottesville, Virginia as a kid from Baton Rouge that was <laughs> 29 years old hoping and praying that this on-air audition would get me an opportunity. I met both Jim Laranaga, Dave Odom, who coached at both South Carolina and Wake Forest, Terry Holland, who's unfortunately passed away. Seth Greenberg had just been a GA there on his way to a coaching career at uh, Long Beach State and uh, and later at the Virginia Tech. Uh, I'll never forget that. I will absolutely never forget that. And. I think Jim Laranaga has a chance to put himself in a position uh, because of all he did as an assistant at Virginia for what he did at George Mason. But to close it out with a potential national championship at an ACC school, not in the Carolinas, is the cherry on top. I mean, and he's a a guy that was a great player first at um, Archbishop Malloy in the Bronx, New York. And he coached, as a player would coach, meaning he was a player's coach, but he had just enough ability to strike a a little fear into some of those players of the next generations without enjoying being a player's coach. You see how much those guys love playing for him. And what he's done in constructing a team made up of a lot of transfers and a lot of veteran players that love to play one-on-one basketball, he's adopted an NBA style, really. Uh, let's spread out and let's match up. Our guards, our forwards, mano a mano, let's play man-to-man or street ball to some extent from time to time. Not necessarily think about running sets and a lot of offensive plays. Um, He's 73 years old and he's coaching like these guys that are 33 and get NBA head coaching jobs. It's an amazing, amazing feat.
1: Tim, uh, who wins and advances to Monday, and who ultimately cuts down the nets? And let's also just mention it to set this up: UConn has won their four games in this tournament by a combined ninety points. Um, yes, they, which is
4: a which yeah, which is a concern. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and, and let me uh, yeah, and let me tell you why it's a concern. When you're winning games in blowout fashion, as Danny Hurley has, and, and let's begin with this: I have great respect for Danny and his entire family. Uh, I've known his dad and his brother, his old family for a long time. Uh, And Danny exorcised some demons through the course of the regular season. I saw some of his low moments calling so many Big East games on Fox. Um, I thought it was really genuine of him to say when he was being interviewed uh, last week before the regional final. Hey, I I stopped getting on the refs and I started concentrating on coaching my team. He's growing as a head coach. He's still uh, not a finished product, really. But when you have won games by that margin, I'll take you back again, how history repeats itself. Tark the Shark wins the title, blows out Duke by 30, 33 years ago. A year later, they're undefeated. They go into Indianapolis. They have to play pretty much the same Duke team with pretty much the same Vegas team. They get behind by one, have to make a play at the end. No one knows what to do. Larry Johnson's dribbling the ball, and it's like, Okay, never been in this situation before. Well, Connecticut, not all year, but certainly in this tournament, has not been pressured. They've not been in a situation where somebody's got to make a big play. Who's going to be the guy? And as many great players as they have, and no one's got more talent, more depth of talent at every position on the floor other than Connecticut. They don't have a true prolific point guard. When they lost those games, in midseason in the Big East, it was because the scouting report in the Big East was Tristan Newton is a good lead guard. He's not a point guard. He's not a great distributor of the ball. So let's attack him first, take him away. And then when the shot clock's winding down, who's going to make a play? Is it Jackson? Is it Hawkins? Is it Caravan? Who's it going to be? Well, sometimes that could be a real problem when the heat is on, when pressure really becomes a factor, and that old axiom pressure will make a pipe bust can be problematic for UConn, who's considered to be the runaway freight train team that ought to win it. That's the narrative going into the Final Four. Um, I think Miami's going to be a hard team for them to beat. Uh, I really do. But if they win that game and get to the championship, then I think having to be in that role and playing against either San Diego State or a team like FAU, those teams are going to muck it up. They're going to make it ugly. They're going to turn it into a foul fest, and they're not going to let guys get easy shots. So UConn will have to earn it. uh, Even though the narrative is going in, they should just blow by the rest of the competition. I'm picking UConn to get through it because I do believe in their talent, and I think Danny has really grown up as a head coach, and good for him. Uh, but I, I think a lot of their fans, and some of them I used to work with at ESPN are like, Brando, please, God, don't pick UConn because we've seen <laughs> your bracket. <laughs> but but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick UConn.
1: Same here, uh, going into it for sure. Uh, and, and I'll probably regret that too as we watch uh, the Owls or the Aztecs. I'm telling you, F- I, know. F-
4: I think F- if FAU beats San Diego State, I really think they got a chance to win it all. I think San Diego State that will beat up be FAU. Amazing. I, I think San Diego, yeah, I think San Diego State will struggle against UConn because they have so many answers offensively. But FAU, physically on both sides, on both offense and defense, I think could match up well with UConn.
1: Tim, you're always great. Thank you so much uh, for once again joining us, and you know we'll have to have you back on soon uh, for sure. We we need to recap the season at some point.
4: Hope to do it. Thanks again. Thank you, Thank you so Absolutely. much, Tim. Appreciate you. Hit them straight on the bet. course. Tim you Brando
1: bet. there, Fox Sports. Always great to us and a great uh, analysis there. Looking ahead to the final four. We'll do that uh, throughout the rest of the week. Chad, there is a a trial that is must-see right now. Davey Hudson's got the latest next on Hot Mike.
5: If you followed me throughout the years, you know I'm a South Dakota girl at heart who grew up in a ranching family. And I know that America First isn't just a political movement. It's a kitchen table issue, literally. You know, I always support American family-owned companies, ranchers, and farmers who put high-quality meat products on the tables of their fellow Americans— And my friends at Omaha Steaks are the experts. With Father's Day right around the corner, what better gift to give dad than the experience of world-class Omaha Steaks? This package includes a mouthwatering assortment of dad's grilling favorites like Omaha Steaks butcher's cut top sirloins, juicy boneless pork chops, deli-style gourmet jumbo franks, and their legendary Omaha Steaks burgers. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code OUTKICK at checkout. Get mouthwatering gift packages starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code OUTKICK to get $10 off your order.
1: Travis will be with us in roughly 30 minutes here on the Outkick Network for Hot Mike. Chad, did you see where uh, DJ Hernandez, Aaron Hernandez's brother, was arrested last week for throwing a brick at ESPN headquarters, and there was a note attached to it discussing their harmful commentary? Um, stories at Outkick.com, but I mean, the, the note attached to it and uh, the direct nature of it I, I reminded me, you, you don't mess with uh, the Hernandez family, based on the details of that trial and how everything went there.
2: Well, it's also unfortunate that they're all in Bristol, Connecticut. That's well, where all of his, yeah. his running around growing up took place, and that's where his family's yeah. located. And
1: his, his, the note was to all media outlets, but it was thrown at the ESPN headquarters there. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the assumption is stemming from the coverage of Aaron, but last week?
2: Well, I think that there's been some reporting that they're upset with the uh, insinuation that he was gay. That, you know, that was the Netflix documentary, though. Yeah. Where yeah. they had his uh, uh, boyfriend, basically, from high school interviewed in it. And I think the family was really upset with that, and that coverage on but it. But that was back in 2020. Yeah. And that wasn't ESPN. No. So, uh, whatever.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, he's been arrested there. Uh, in a, a a more humorous nature there's a a civil trial going on davy hudson with more on gwyneth paltrow and a very short man who got in a skiing accident with her
0: thanks Hut. so as we all know after the Murdaugh trial going back a little bit farther the johnny depp amber heard trial we needed something new well guess what guys i'm combining them both right (laughs) now and that's what we have with this gwyneth paltrow skiing hit and run trial is how (laughs) we're we're deeming this and just before i even get into this if it already sounds like it's the most white thing that could happen, it is exactly that. I mean, we just have wealthy white people go into battle over issues such as uh, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So Gwyneth Paltrow back in 2016 was accused of hitting a retired optometrist named Terry Sanderson. The man's now 76 That's years old.
2: Very white right there. Just yes. that last sentence.
0: So he initially sued her for I think it was 3.1 million in damages because On their day, on the slopes at this really nice ski resort in Utah, he fractured some ribs, he ended up suffering a concussion, and so he is saying like, Gwyneth Paltrow is the reason this happened. Now, the $3.1 million lawsuit was filed out, or uh, they dismissed it, and so then he filed for $300,000 in damages, and that is what we currently are witnessing. The judge put an eight-day cap on this trial, but it has delivered every day. We're on day seven right now. I'm pretty sure my math check's out there. And so the best thing that I've seen from this, I, I know you've been following it a little bit. I've watched a little bit of it. But this man, Mr. Sanderson, contends that because of his injuries, he is no longer able to enjoy wine tastings.
1: Yes. Well, the other the other really funny thing about, it, and by the way, I, I think there, there's nothing here that would lead me to believe that Gwyneth Paltrow caused these injuries. Uh, that was, you know, negligent in some way. She's also countersued for what a dollar?
0: One dollar. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's just the the, the, the morality. Funny, the of funny it.
1: thing, though, is in the deposition, he he claims he's five eight, right? And then uh, at the
2: trial, he, he testified he was 5'5". Five, five. <laughs> they had to measure him? Yeah. They had to break it out and see if he was telling so, the truth? Yeah. It's well, just yeah. it's we, crazy.
0: We had an issue because the entire trial is about being downhill. Because if you're uphill, then you're likely the one that caused the accident. So Gwyneth said, no, I was actually ran into by this guy. And the way she phrased it, she thought she was being sexually assaulted on the slopes because the guy's skis ran into her skis. And when another body ran into her back... She heard a grunting sound. She, yeah. She's like, as I'm trying to understand this, she thought she oh was God, being sexually assaulted.
2: <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she was, the guy runs her over and just realizes, this is Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> from Seven. Oh, my God. Yes.
1: <laughs> he, he Finally. It, he rides up her. I love your candle. It just goes off. Oh, on. my
2: gosh. So many jokes. Gwyneth uh, Paltrow is also so, under heat because she's been touting her own diet of like celery juice and a cracker for the entire day. Yeah. And people are saying that she's endorsing unhealthy eating habits. And she said, "No, no. This is just when I detox. This is what I do when I detox. This isn't normal. I do I mean, actually eat food." If if she's
1: endorsing unhealthy eating habits, stop asking her about her eating habits. That would be my answer. Oh, but in reply she's in to such that. a
2: place of power, you know. To so many people, they have yes. to do whatever Gwyneth Paltrow says. She went. Uh, the by founder the way, of Goop. She, you have to follow what she says. Come <laughs> on. Hutton. She got up from the
1: accident, proceeded to go downhill, and then went and had a massage without asking if the guy was okay. The only allegedly. thing she lost
2: was a half day of skiing. Can she still enjoy wine tastings?
1: Headlines next, including the latest I on the up. holdup between the Jets and Packers and Aaron Rodgers.